Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a four-time, 22-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Well, Sharon's on vacation today, which is really too bad because we've got an amazing amazing guest with us today. But before I wanted before I introduce her, I wanted to share with you something that we talked to, you know, to our patients about and I share with my audiences when I speak. And that is to try to find a way to do what you love no matter what. And even if you're in the midst of cancer, it's it can seem kind of daunting, but if you can find a way to do something that you love every day, it, it's really helpful because and honestly it is hard and we know that because a cancer diagnosis can often bring us to our knees. And it's in those moments of difficulty that we are stretched and sometimes beyond where we ever imagined. When when Sharon and I started Breast Friends, we both worked in corporate America in sales jobs. And when we had a, we call it our come to Jesus meeting one time, we were talking about why is it we both survived breast cancer. And we decided it was because we were supposed to do something with our journey. And thus, Breast Friends was born, and that was 18 years ago. So it was it was born out of that same mindset that, you know, we need to find things that bring us joy, and finding a way to support cancer patients was kind of what we decided was important for us to do. So with that behind me, I wanted to share, our, our guest today is a truly amazing and inspiring woman. Jennifer Batten has been playing guitar since age eight. And in 1987, she was chosen from 100 guitarists to play on Michael Jackson's Bad Tour, which traveled the globe for one and a half years. And she remained in Michael's band for 10 years. And after that, she toured with Jeff Beck for three years. And I mean, just if you look at this woman's history, it's amazing. And besides being a guest guitarist, she's also a songwriter and has done numerous recordings. And I I had a kind of a fun day. One day I went to YouTube and I just searched her name and all this stuff came up. I mean, she's done so many things and I, I love her style and her skill is just beyond words. She's also played for Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas and she continues to tour the globe performing solo and does band shows and offers guitar workshops. Well, a little change in the story. In 2018, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. But she hasn't let her, let it that stop her from doing what she loves. So let's welcome Jennifer Batten. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, we're, we're thrilled. And Jennifer, you know, when that first time that you called me, um, I have to admit, I, I already knew who you were because I had a little background story on you. And I was a little smitten. <laughs> I was finding myself a little starstruck, you know, starstruck and trying to be really cool about it. Like, you know, none of that phased me. But, oh, no, I was quite, <laughs> I was quite enthralled with our conversation. So um, I, I was, I'm really happy that you're on our show. And since then, we've become friends. And I'm, I'm just really happy to, to know you as I do. And before we kind of go into the cancer journey, do you mind if we talk about your music background a bit? Because I know our audience is going to be really interested in that. Do you mind? Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Go for it. 
Okay, so the first and obvious big elephant in the room is how on earth did you get into Michael Jackson's band? I mean, I know you're really a great guitarist because I've heard you, but how'd that come about? Boy, that was a, a real blessing. Um, I was lucky enough to hear about the auditions, and he auditioned 100 people in L.A., and a lot of times those auditions are, are word of mouth, and if you're not in the in the clique, so to speak, you don't hear about it. And luckily he had someone that called up Musicians Institute where I was teaching at the time and asked to send two people to come down and audition. So I uh I I took about I don't know, two days off of everything just to work on the tunes just so I could be as good as I could possibly be when I walked in there. And funny enough, I walked in and there was no band. It was just a video camera and Michael would see the stuff later. And the only guidance I was given was to play some funky rhythm because that would be 90% of my job. So I, I did that and I started improvising and soloing. And I had already known the Beat It solo from playing in a cover band for several years. So I thought he might find that useful. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine. with that. <laughs> well, that's that was smart, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yeah, and a couple a couple days later, they called back and said uh, Michael was interested, and it was a matter of me coming down to play with the band and just see how it went. And eventually, after two months, I got a postcard and I took it to Tokyo, and I thought that was looking pretty good. So, oh, yeah, I expected I would stay with them for ten years. Wow. that And, you know, I know back in that day, you had that wild and crazy, awesome blonde hair. And so I, I got to ask, was that a wig? Uh, well, there were three different tours. The first two tours, it was not a wig. The whole look was Michael's idea. He hired an artist to draw up a look for each performer on stage and then hired makeup and hair to make it happen and wardrobe people to make those costumes that were drawn happen. Um, I will say that they added what is called a weft, um, actually three of them to the back of my head to add more volume. And that, that look took two and a half hours to show. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's the reason I don't keep that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So I got to ask, okay, so you went down, you performed with the band. Just Was Michael there for that? Or was it just the band? No, he just looked at the videotapes later, okay. thankfully, because it, it would have been pretty nerve-wracking to have him sitting there watching. I suppose. I imagine so. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So you got on the, you got on his, you got in his band. You went on tour with him. Out of all these these years you were with him, do you have a favorite Michael moment that you could share with our audience? Yeah, I think. Well, the Super Bowl was definitely super fun because it was a one-off thing, and I knew it was being aired to. 80 nations, a billion and a half people. It was just crazy. But there, there was a, a private moment that was uh, really great. Uh, Cheryl Crow was on that tour, and we were both insecure because we weren't getting any feedback from anybody. Like, how are we doing? Uh, are we going to last at the Japanese leg of this tour? We had no idea. And we were in Japan. It was the first uh, place that we went, and Michael shut down the Tokyo Disneyland. Wait, he shut down Tokyo Disneyland? Is that what you said? He shut it down so we could (laughs) hang out without the public bothering us. Well, that makes sense. And Cheryl and I were in a gift shop 
looking at this Daffy Duck toothbrush holder <laughs> where you push down on Daffy's head and the eyes go back and forth for as long as you're supposed to brush your teeth. And I was, oh my. we were both fascinated. <laughs> it's the little things in life, right? He me on the shoulder and said, I really like how you're playing the Beat It solo. And to me, that was such a great affirmation uh, that I would stay in the band. So wow. that was a moment I'll never forget. I'll bet. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible. So, well, thank you for sharing all of that. And that's, that's just an amazing story. And, you know, I have to say, when I first looked at your photo, when I first Googled you, <clears throat> I saw your photo and I went, I've seen her. My husband and I both saw you on the Super Bowl. And that's when I first <laughs> really realized who you were. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's her. Oh, my gosh. So then when you called me, it was like, oh, I'm talking to a celebrity. <laughs> Like I said, I was a little <laughs> bit goofy. But so then after you left Michael, you played with him for 10 years. And then you went to, um, I've seen you do, you did your Jeff Beck thing. And um, tell me about that. And then I also saw on YouTube that you did a Les Paul tribute um, using one of his guitars. Tell me, that's pretty fascinating. So can you share a little bit about that? Well, uh, Jeff Beck gig was, Boy, that was just phenomenal. Talk about, it's enough to have one dream come true in your life, but to have two was phenomenal. And he had been my guitar hero since I was a teenager. So oh, wow. to actually had a chance to play in his band was just phenomenal and very, very enriching. It was just a gas to, you know, when you're on tour, you're living with people on a bus pretty much many, many hours a day, and then you're on stage with them. So to to get to know him and his personality and his thoughts on music was a really, really rich time. Um, although I was saying it was really loud, so I am missing some frequencies that I'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah. the most other thing, that was really cool, too. Um, I was on my first motorhome tour. Uh, after both of those gigs, I decided to get my own music out into the world and bought a motorhome and and they're being invited to play on this Les Paul tribute. And he, at the time, I think was, gosh, 96 years old. And they didn't wow. know he was going to be there because his health was not great. Um, and they asked me to play a song called Lover, which was his first multi-track recording ever. And really? I agreed before I even listened to it. And then I thought, uh-oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he was using trickery where he had the tanks up, so it ended up at, I don't know, double speed from where he originally played it. So I, I had to work out my own trickery to be able to cover it, and I, I did it alone for, oh, there must have been 2,000 people out there, uh, so that was a bit nerve-wracking. I, I used loopers, and anyway, as, as Jeff says, sometimes you do a show and you're just surprised that you're still alive at the end of it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I speak professionally from the stage and sometimes you get a little bit of nerves, but if I knew that Michael or Jeff Beck or Les Paul or somebody like that was sitting there in the, in the audience listening to me or was going to watch my video, I think I'd be a little bit more, um, anxiety ridden at that point. So, so yeah, I get that. Well, Jennifer, what are you doing now? I mean, I, I know this was all sometime back but you've had a lifetime awesome career and you're still doing stuff so what what are you doing right now 
Well, not right this minute. I know uh, what you're doing right now. <laughs> you know, for the first time in a very long time, I don't have specific goals, and I'm kind of going with the wind. And whatever emails come in asking me to come here or there, that's what I do. And I, I just came back from Switzerland a, a couple days ago, did a thing in Paris, so airlines lost my luggage yet again. Uh. <laughs> the travel always <laughs> sucks, but the gigs are great. That's why I keep doing it. Um, so in the next week, I'm going to South America for spells. So I'm always jumping around the planet playing music in various formats, whether it's workshops or playing with a band or doing my solo show, which is I play solo in sync with films that I make. Um, that's what I'm doing. And lately, uh, I have gotten into, well, I've gotten into various art forms when I'm home and I have some time. I got into doing glass art for three years really, really intensely. Then I got into doing steampunk art. And now I've just started helping people make patios out of their patios. I've seen your patio. <laughs> it's, I, I felt a sense of Neverland in there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you uh, yeah. have a really awesome backyard, I have to say. It's pretty cool. I took pictures of it because I was so wowed by it. And, you know, your art, you have a real gift with art. It's very, it reminds me of Cirque du Soleil kind of thing that you might see. It's, you've just got a, you, you've got a style that's kind of all yours, I think. So that's well, cool. You know, I think creativity is a muscle and wherever it goes, it goes. So whether it's in, you know, visual art or audio art or making videos, it's, it's, it's just all the same muscle and it's really fun to jump from one to the other. And I think each one enriches the other. Well, and that that's absolutely true. So, well, we're, we're going to switch gears a little bit because I don't want to run out of time. I'd love to have two hours with you, but I don't. So um, we're going to switch gears just a little bit and talk about when you came into our world, um, you had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And can, are you, can we talk about that for a minute? What was, what was that like? When were you diagnosed? And can you just kind of give us the little backstory on that? Sure. I, I think everybody that's been diagnosed will remember the day the diagnosis came in forever. It was March yes. 9th of this year. And I, I need to back up just a little bit before my story. And about maybe three months before I got diagnosed, a, a dear friend of mine got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, I was at a loss and how to help her. What could I do? And the bills were just insane. And so I ended up making a video for her trying to help with a GoFundMe campaign. And it really got me thinking about cancer and what I would do in the same situation and on like that. And I, I knew that, especially when I was on the road, my eating was not the greatest. And I, as far as eating organic food, it was just occasional. I always thought, well, if I buy three items that are organic and the rest are not organic, it's better than nothing. But right. boy, that um, diagnosis came down and really kicked my butt. Because I think, you know, unless it's pervasive in your family, you don't give it that much thought. It always seems like somebody else's problem. Right. You know? And I remember so, feeling that way. <laughs> I was actually uh, packing up to do a local gig in Portland. And I was rushing around trying to make sure I got all the cables. And meanwhile, I got this woman on the other end of the phone telling me my options and appointments and all this stuff. And it was, oh, 
it was serious overwhelm because it it takes quite a while to let it settle in that oh okay I'm in the club now I yeah. I actually have cancer so yeah. it was kind of frightening in a way but also seemed manageable because it was stage one um, you know I think I'd have a whole other reaction if it was late stage and you know you see your life flash before your eyes. But, uh, I, you know, there there yeah, is some truth to that, Jennifer. Sorry, um, you know, there is some truth to that. You know, when you're stage one versus somebody who's stage three, because the treatment is going to be different. But the initial reaction when you find out you have cancer before you even know any of the staging, I think the initial reaction hits all of us pretty hard, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm very happy for you that it was stage one, but it doesn't lessen some of the emotional impact of hearing those words, I think, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, you know, I, I was stage three when I was first diagnosed, but before I knew any of that, I remember hearing the words that, you know, you have cancer. It's like, ha, you know, you, you just kind of, it's easy to lose control at that moment. And, um, yeah, so, so I don't want, I don't want you to feel like it's anything less. I mean, it's still very significant to have, even have an early stage diagnosis, but I'm really happy that it was only that because um, you had you maintained a great attitude throughout that whole time. Oh, <laughs> so, after the first month, my attitude improved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I remember good. when we talked. Yeah, uh, you know, I remember when we talked. You um, were putting off your mastectomy until you had your completed a tour of Russia or something. What was what what was that about? Well, it it was all about scheduling for me. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I was, when I got diagnosed, I was super pissed off, and cancer was the last reason I was pissed off. Because you got to work in order to pay for this stuff. It's super expensive, even though I was paying over $600 a month for, for medical, it would end up being over $7,000 out of pocket. And... You know, most musicians just don't have that laying around. So the money was one thing. The scheduling was another thing. And if I had to cancel tours, that's money that would have paid for the institution. Yeah. I I ended up um, getting, uh, well, did the biopsy, which led to the diagnosis. And so they suggested doing a lumpectomy. And it's funny how your mind compartmentalizes it. I thought, okay. There's a problem, there's a solution, done. Mm-hmm. They do the lumpectomy, right. and as long as the margins were clean, I'd be good to go. And and at the same time, right the day that I got the diagnosis, I decided to go vegan. Because I felt like I was busted. You know, I felt like all those steaks and non-organic food and whatever, sugary this and that, finally caught up to me, and I was, I was busted. And, Combined with the fact that I was blowing off monograms for years, because, uh, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons I did that, but I, I think I blew it off for about six years, and they say that often cancer can be in you for six years before they yeah. it's big enough to see. Yep, that's true. So That's true. Or feel. You know, sometimes we don't deal with it till we feel something, and... You know, by then it's usually more advanced. So you were very fortunate that, you know, after that much time, 
it was still stage one. That's that's great. Listen, Jennifer, we're going to take yeah, a break. Yeah, I'm we'll, my blessings on that. Yeah. You know, I, I got a pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the rest of the thing, yeah. Uh, actually, I had a couple trips. I had to put off the the um, bi- not the biopsy, the lumpectomy, because I was in South America, and then I had to put off the mastectomy when they found more cancer because I was in Russia for a, a week or ten days or something. And I only had four days at home before I uh, had the surgery. And in that time, uh, I, I got the <laughs> the poop funeral organized that you attended. <laughs> yes, I do remember that so, so well. Listen, kiddo, we're going to take a break, okay? Um, and we're going to come back and we'll sure. talk about the boob funeral. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our very special guest, Jennifer Batten. And Jennifer, just before we went out to break, we started on the conversation of the booby funeral. And I have to tell you, in all the years, I've been battling cancer personally, and I've been working with other patients through Breast Friends. Never have I attended a booby funeral until yours. So (laughs) tell us about that, where you got the idea of what it was. It was just really fun. So, yeah, let's have that conversation. Well, you know, I, 
everybody deals with this kind of news in their own way, and I think it's probably pretty common as it was with me to, to be silent about it while you're still mulling things over in your head, and maybe your closest friends know about it, but that's it. And by the time the second surgery came up, um, I was telling everybody, you know, it, it's kind of like I needed to express and expel that energy out into the planet and <laughs> share it a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I think the, the best way was to have this ceremony, so I, I ordered a tiny casket on um, Amazon and a, a little boot to put in it and had these candles <laughs> on both sides of it. I got... I didn't know you could buy all these things, but I bought um, the boob balloons. Yeah, uh, I remember. And I, I went to the dollar store and got pink everything, and I just did it up and cooked up a, a vegan feast of things that I had never cooked before. So it was just it was just cool to have a bunch of friends over, and there was quite a few missing breasts in the group. Yeah, there were. Absolutely. Yeah. Having um, having people that have been through it is a helpful yeah. thing, too. It, it is. And, you know, you said something a second ago or a minute ago that I want to kind of come back to. You said in the beginning you kind of held it all in and you didn't really share with very many people. And then you decided to kind of release it out into the universe and you started telling your friends. How did that change things for you? Did, was that helpful to tell people? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, I, you were one of the people, uh, a mutual friend of ours with the same name, Becky, gave me the numbers of four different people that had been through it. And I just found it was really helpful to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, telling friends that haven't been through it, they, they're there for support, but they really don't know what to do. Uh, I had one friend that came to the party, it it blew my mind because she made pajamas for me with with pockets for the drain that I would need after the mastectomy. Uh, I remember that. That was awesome. Sorry? That was awesome. I remember that. Yeah. And she also made this pillow, very creative, to go across the chest Mm -hmm. with armpit or, you know, a little divot for the arms to go through in case it was painful and I needed uh, pressure to go against it. So it, it was a really good kind of traumatic slash bonding <laughs> event. And I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Well, it was, it was really special. And <laughs> with, I'm sorry, what? Plus the pictures are great. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really fun party, and it was really nice to meet your friends. Um, you know, one of the things I did, I did kind of observe that, too, that some people knew what you were going through. Some were trying to relate uh, as best they could, which was really awesome of them. Um, and, you know, and I think just in general, not you, not you or your group of people, but a lot of times when we do share our stories with people that don't know anything about it, um, there's a tendency to want to give advice. In fact, even people who've been through it want to give advice. And sometimes the advice is good and sometimes it's not so good. Um, so that's something that people always have to kind of weed out in that process. But your friends were all very supportive and it was lovely to meet them all. So that was that was cool. And I think that that's something people should think about doing because it was full of laughs. And then you were having your mastectomy two days later. 
right? Wasn't it? Yeah. You did this two days before. Yeah. And the food was delicious, by the way. You're quite a good cook. <laughs> so thank you for thank well, you for feeding was, us all. I experimented on you. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really good. So thank you for, for doing that. So let's talk for a minute about what happened next. Because I know you mentioned to me something about, you know, the emotional fallout that happens post-diagnosis. What, hap- what happened? Well... I imagine it's a pretty common thing, but I went into a serious dark space. Just the thoughts were just so negative. Um, like I said before, I was so pissed off about the, the cost and I had anxiety about how I was going to deal with that. And I had had a knee replacement just three years prior. And I thought, oh, God, it's really too soon to be going and getting cut again. Um I get to the point where I think, well, what's what's the point of life anyway? You're just kind of taking a bird's eye view, going, well, what has my life been about? Um, what if I die tomorrow? Just having a whole different perspective. Um, a, a friend of mine actually died waiting for insurance to kick in with breast oh, cancer and it became lung cancer by the time insurance kicked in. So it's just going back and forth like, well, what would happen if I just let it take its course? And I would just visualize mm. what life and death would be at that point and who would take care of my animals. And, you know, you just look at all the the little things that life and death uh, would do. And I'm, I, I watched my dad die from lung cancer. And I'm thinking, well, what if I lost my house and lost this and that um, and just let it take its course? Uh, well, morphine costs money. There's a hell of a lot of suffering that goes on when people die from cancer. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I chose life. It's way more dramatic, my thoughts, than it needed to be, especially since it was stage one, and most people survive that. But, um, you know, one of the most positive things was that it really flipped a switch in my eating and health. And I became an instant vegan, and it was no problem. I have no problem. It's six months later, and I don't miss eating meat. I don't miss dairy. There's a lot of substitutes. And there was a lot of toxins to clear out. And I'll tell you, it's been six months, and I'm just now starting to feel super, super energized, like I haven't felt in years. So that, that was a really good thing. But another thing that I, I felt victimized in a, in a way because, you know, the medical industry when it, regarding cancer, it, it's like a cancer factory. Here's what we do. You have a meeting with the surgeon, with the oncologist, with the radiologist, and I just felt like it was these people selling their wares. And oh, wow. I've seen enough documentaries that, and I think back to, to drugs like Fen-Fen, oh, the FDA thought that was a great thing until it started killing a bunch of people. Right, um, remember that. Control pills, everybody thought, hey, this is great. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do the rhythm method or anything. But it's, it's got profound health effects on people over time. Uh, I was watching a, a brilliant video on hormone imbalance by Barbara O'Neill, and she was saying that if you take birth control pills, especially as a teenager, it throws your hormones off for the rest of your life. And 
this is, you know, doctors are prescribing this. No problem. Take this. It's perfectly safe. Well, when they wanted me to take uh, hormone-blocking drugs, estrogen blockers, I took a step back and said, hell no. And the same with radiology. I thought, you know, my, my dad had radiology for prostate cancer, and one of the episodes missed and hit the colon, and he sent himself by ambulance back to the hospital because he said he felt like he was crapping glass. You know, wow, the, ouch. Yeah, one of the possibilities when they, when they shoot you for breast cancer is hitting your lung. Well, mm-hmm. now is that going to develop into lung cancer or, you know, these drugs can actually cause ovarian cancer? And I just took a big step back and said, no, 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 I don't want to do any of this. And one of the reasons I chose mastectomy is they told me I wouldn't need radiation if I did that. And right. another reason is, you know, the, the lumpectomy, I thought, okay, we're done. I went and saw the, the surgeon after that, and she said, well... The margins are not clean. Here's the options. We can either go in and dig a little more, or you can cut it off completely. And I instantly thought, I am not playing this game. Cut a little more, and then you need a little more. And every time you do it, it's two weeks out and a couple weeks to recover. And Mm -hmm. frankly, my schedule just wouldn't allow it. And each one of those is a hospital stay. I mean, you're in the hospital each time, and you know, and so you did actually do a lumpectomy first before your mastectomy. I guess I didn't realize that, but yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, it happens to a lot of women. They they do the lumpectomy. I had a lumpectomy, but we did get clean margins, and you know, so it worked. It worked out okay, but um, but yeah. So I mean, it's it's all choices, you know. We all we all get faced with different degrees of our cancer. It's a you know different forms and different ways and there's a lot of decisions to make so you know you made the ones that that felt right to you and I think that's really a key you know you have to whoever is going through this really has to make those decisions that that feel right to them so you decided not to do any of that treatment after your mastectomy um, and you just went with the diet thing right and yeah and I'll tell you one one of the one of the thoughts after I first got diagnosed also was the anxiety that I need to know a lot of information really quickly. And mm-hmm. these doctors went to school for four or six years, and I need to know everything right now, which is impossible. So right. I <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out books there. <laughs> and, and YouTube videos and just really hardcore study for months. And I, I saw, um, you know, people that were on tamoxifen or other estrogen blockers. I I have a friend that was on that for three months and she said she couldn't even get out of bed. She was in so much pain. I know some people do fine on it, but I read one statement that really locked in my decision. And that is estrogen has 300 jobs in the body. And so to block that, I think, boy, that is not good (laughs) to block all those jobs that it is supposed to do. And you know, the, the oncologists have these studies about women that did nothing, women that uh, took this pill or that pill. But I don't, to my knowledge, know that there's any studies that show a comparison in women that went to a 100% clean diet as opposed to taking the pills. And yeah. I've been 
studying, 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 and there's a whole lot of people. I mean, because cancer is on the rise, it's just insane how many people have it. Um, there's a real movement for people to go natural and say, well, why did I get this? The doctors don't have any interest in searching back into your history in a, in a holistic way to find possibly what could have caused it from dietary or uh you know, emotional trauma or on and on and on. It's just either cut, drugs, or radiation. Those are your options. So yeah, they, they seem kind of limited. I was fully armed with all that I had read. And when I said, well, you know, estrogen has 300 jobs in the body, he just looked at me like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and honestly, he, thankfully he gave me a pass because he said, you know, if it was somebody in my family, I would say take the drugs for five years. Uh, but he said, of all my patients, you're actually somebody that could get away with it. Because it was stage one, there were so yeah. few cancer cells. So and, and, that, and again, that does that does help, you know, for sure. I, I've been on estrogen blockers for years, and I struggled with them in the beginning, and then we keep changing to different ones. But in my case, because it, I've had it four times now, it seems like every time I stop or we switch gears, it it comes back, and it turns out that I actually have two genetic mutations that don't protect me from breast cancer. And um, so, for me, I have to do pretty much everything I can do to keep from getting it again. Right. Um, but for someone like you, you know, who maybe had it, had early stage, got rid of it before it got in your lymph nodes, um, that's that's. A, a good place to be. And Jennifer, before we switch gears here again and go out to break, which we're going to do in a minute, I do want to share with our listeners, this is the reason, Jennifer is is the reason, you know, when you think about being diagnosed at stage one, this is why we recommend annual mammograms. And it's because you don't want to wait until you feel a lump to get a mammogram. You want to go you know, they talk about getting your first one at age 40, and I know there's some controversy around that, but we stick with 40. Um, get your first one so you know what a clean, healthy breast looks like on you. And then you go back a year later and you have another one, and what they do is they compare the tissue from this sample to the one a year ago, and they look for subtle changes. And when they find the subtle changes, that's how you catch breast cancer early. Now, some of those changes might just be what they call um, pre-cancer cells. And a lot of times your body, if it's strengthened, you've got a good immune system, you're eating vegan and doing all the right things, you might be able to fight it off and and kill those cancer cells or the pre-cancer cells. And and that's the idea behind having a really good, healthy lifestyle. But um, for some of us who didn't have that happen and I I went seven years between mammograms and in that time I I had a big lump in my breast that was just fibrous tissue, but in that seven years, it developed a cancer tumor inside of it. And we didn't know that that's what was changing, you know, in me. And so that's how mine got so advanced, you know, when I finally found it, who knows how long it actually been in there. But, um, but that's why we want to make sure that women are getting regular mammograms so you can catch it early. And that, that changes what your, what your, you know, treatment might look like. And and I think that's really an important message. And and Jennifer, thanks for continuing to remind us it was stage one, which again, emotionally is just as hard as not stage one, but the treatment can be easier and the cure can be easier. Um, bef- we are going to take a short break and we'll come back and finish this segment um, at the other side of the, of the break. 
So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Um, we've been talking with a, an amazing lady, Jennifer Batten, and we have so much to cover still, so we're going to get right back into it. So, Jennifer, you were talking about diet change, and before we move on from there, I really want to have you talk with our audience because, you know, a lot of us try to eat better when we're home, and, you know, we know what restaurants locally we can go to, but you travel a lot, and for those of our audience who do travel, how did you fit this new healthy eating lifestyle in with your with your traveling i mean russia and all these places how do how do you do that i'll tell you one of the very first things is uh to to not be buying all the plastic bottles that are in airports outrageously priced because of the plasticides uh i guess it's from mainly from the lid but i mean just in manufacture there's microscopic plasticides that cause xenoestrogens and raise your estrogen levels in a bad way. Uh, a friend of mine sent me um, from the company Berkey. It's a, a water bottle with a filter in it. And oh, cool. so I take that with me. I probably will save $1,000 a year by not buying the airport water. <clears throat> yeah. But also, yeah, I was I... really... Lo- huh? No, that's good. Sorry. That's okay. Keep going. Also, I was really lucky in that the... the the tour that I went on, the first tour after surgery, uh, it's a Michael Jackson tribute that I do in the, the UK. I've been with for a couple of years, 
And we never stop at restaurants. We always stop at shopping centers or, or grocery stores. So that was really easy because I'd just go to the produce section and get a bunch of nuts and seeds and blueberries. And at first I thought, well, gosh, going a whole day without a hot meal, that's going to suck after a while. But I was fine with it. It was really, really good. And knowing that everything that was going on in my mouth was healthy, as opposed to in a restaurant, you have no idea what ingredients they've given you. And usually everything is soaking in butter and I'm not doing dairy. So that worked out really well. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that makes a difference. The other tours that do restaurants, so I, I'm, it's, it can be a challenge because the, the whole Western world is so into meat and dairy to find alternates um, can be a little challenge. What about organic? Do you, do you just, when you're shopping at the grocery store, do you stick with all organic or on some things or what? Well, when I'm home, yes. I've been going to natural grocers in, um, not far from me. And, and I've noticed a, a real change in the mainstream uh, chains. In the last 10 years, there's always a, an organic section, at least in the Northwest there is. So they don't have as much choice as going to one that is specifically an all-organic store. But at least I can go five minutes away and get fruit and vegetables if I want to. Yeah, and, um, you know, I was a... I still am really into coffee. <laughs> that, that is my one vice. <laughs> I um, know. I got a cup right here part next of to me. <laughs> why I liked it is I would load it with dairy and raw sugar. And mm. now I have switched to stevia. And I'm totally cool with that. And using nut milk or no, no milk at all. Um, and I, I used to hate that. I used to think, ah, it's just not as good as sugar. But... Knowing what I'm facing, you know, when you have a, a gun to your head, you get a whole new perspective. <laughs> and yeah, something I that's found true. recently when I was in the UK is I went looking for these stevia tablets that are easy to travel with and throw in your coffee. But you really have to be careful because a lot of them, they say stevia on the front and then you find sugar alcohols on the back that are added. So okay. to find pure stevia is, is not the easiest and stevia, I mean, I've heard of it. I, I don't really use it. I think I even have a box of it because my son was using it um, when he was home. Uh, what What is stevia? What does it come from? It's plant-based, right? Yeah, stevia is a plant. It's just a plant. It comes out of the ground. They turn it into a powder. And it's it's um, actually, you did eat stevia at my party because I made muffins with it. Well, there you go. <laughs> you didn't even <laughs> I know. I <remember> <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, you like think about the chemical alternatives. Sugar. What's that? Say it again. One teaspoon of stevia equals a whole cup of sugar. Seriously. So you don't need very much of it then in your coffee either. Yeah, I, you know, I always think about right. the chemical replacements and nobody wants that. So it's like, which is worse, the sugar, which is really like a drug or the chemical replacement. So that sounds like a reasonable, I'll send Stevia our um, plug bill later on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, and you know, the sugar industry was really freaked out when Stevia first appeared and they blocked it from being in stores and you could only get it in health food stores listed as a supplement. But they finally really? broke through a couple of years ago, and now everybody's all about it. But even in the health food store I go to, they have a whole section of chocolate bars, and they list stevia on the front. But you look on the back, and there's all kinds of sugar alcohols on the yeah. back. 
And in fact, there are 61 different names for sugar now. And and once the sugar industry knows that you're hip to the names, they will make more names (laughs) for the same crap. That's funny, isn't it? You know, we have a, I have a friend who's a nutritionist, um, and he works for the integrative medicine department up at Providence. And he told me, I listened to him in a, in a meeting, and he was talking about, you know, what if you have to read the label of something, it's not real food, because real food doesn't have labels. You know, apples are apples. They don't need a label. You know, <laughs> so when you're talking about reading yeah. labels, and there's all this crap and chemicals, that that's not even probably real food. So you know, we have to be really careful about that. And it sounds like, for the most part, you are being, you know, really careful. Let me ask you about inflammation, because I don't want to run out of time, but inflammation is something that we're hearing more and more about, and how it impacts so many systems in our body. And I think, you know, in the past, I used to think about the word inflammation, I think about like swollen ankles and stuff. Well, that's just one symptom of something. But when you talk about inflammation control, I know that's been a really important to you. Can you speak to that for just a minute? Like, what does it mean? How do you control it? And what happens to us if we don't? Can you, are you, I don't know how much you know about all that, but I'm assuming I I read a very powerful statement that said that all disease begins with inflammation. (laughs) So, behoove yourself to to know what foods are inflammatory. And there, there are apps you can get on your phone that will tell you what foods are inflammatory and what which are not and so I've really been studying the you know the the best anti-cancer foods that you can get and if that's all you eat you don't have to worry about a thing and um, having an alkaline system versus versus acetic is another way and I I wish I had before and after testing because I didn't start testing until a, a few months after I had been vegan but um, you can test your alkalinity very easily. Uh, I I wasn't able to find the strips locally, but on Amazon you can get a pack of a hundred alkaline testing strips for either urine or um, saliva, and see where you're at on the spectrum. And if you're super acidic, uh, all, a quick Google search can tell you how to reverse it. And, and basically, you're right. Just eating food without a label: apples, bananas, greens this and that, uh, then you're good to go. And there's also, I've read about um, putting some baking soda in water is a super alkaline, alkal, alkalinizing, boy, that's a tough one, that's sometimes, <laughs> uh, way to go. Even even yeah. a half a teaspoon in a gallon of water is going to help your system be alkaline. So we definitely want so the alkaline leaning system because cancer can't really survive in that environment. That's the whole, the whole idea of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's something I forgot to say. Cancer cannot survive in an alkaline environment. So to me, I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. If you're alkaline, you don't have to worry. Boy, that, you know, I, I might have to go online and look for some, some testing strips. Cause I don't know. I, you know, I've been trying to eat better and, been walking my 10,000 steps a day and trying to eat more natural kinds of foods and a lot of berries and things. And, you know, I'm hoping that it, I've lost nine pounds in about a month and a half. So I'm happy about that. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, yeah. maybe some of these changes that I've been making too, you know, might might help in that direction. So, so that's really good. Well, let's talk about some other things before we run out of time. I wanted to 
I know you've been doing a lot of research on the internet. Now, I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to have you clarify something, because one thing we do encourage new, newly diagnosed patients is to stay off the internet because they tend to, not they generally, but I mean, oftentimes they end up in a, in a chat room or they read somebody's blog and it's just full of negativity about what they're going through. And when you're newly diagnosed, you want to make sure that you're getting good, accurate information, not just somebody's, you know, woe is me story, because that'll knock you down in a hurry. So with that, and I know you did a lot of research. So where did you go to find studies that you can trust, you know, things that are real and give you the good information, like alkaline, not cancer, not living in alkaline? Where did you where do you go to find these sources? <laughs> you know, what? Uh, I will list uh like a half a dozen of the resources I went to. And I, when I get into something, I tend to be obsessive about it and binge on it. So I couldn't begin to tell you which source of the hundred that I went to. <laughs> told okay. About that, but, um, <laughs> I, maybe I if you send them to me, you could send them to me maybe, and I can put them on our, on our Facebook page or something so people can go in and, and find all of them. But do you have one or two that you really okay. relied on? Well, I, I got uh, I, I tend to go to audiobooks. Um, there's one called Healing Breast Cancer Naturally. So I got that, and there was so much information. I just, uh, instead of just the audible one, I got the, the book as well, because I'm going to have to dog ear pages and, and highlight all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, um, that's what I do. But, you know, in reading any of these, there's, there's always, every once in a while, there's statements that come on and go, mm, I'm not so sure about that one. And honestly, anything you read online, you can read the opposite. So seeing exactly. things that are sourced is the number one way to go. And I'm also very leery about sites that are sponsored by Big Pharma because they have one goal, and that's to get your money. So I would tend to go to other places. But I think one thing that helps a lot is to read a huge variety of stuff. Uh, okay. To, because you will see things that say the opposite so that'll send you deeper into well this is the opposite of that and so read more and and ultimately it's your gut that'll tell you you know there's a big message in what you just said you know we can't believe everything we read as being absolutely factual and so you do have to challenge things and challenging it does cause you to go deeper but again make sure you're going deeper into legitimate sites you know not just somebody's personal blog because, you know, sometimes people know stuff and sometimes they don't. But, um, wow, yeah, and you've done a lot of good research. So I would love to find out what some of your best uh, websites that you went to. So if you can email those to me later, I can we'll, we'll post them. So we only have like a minute left, and then I have to grab the last minute. So tell me really quick, with all the travel you do, how do you deal with stress management because stress, you know, they say is a big part of feeding cancer. So you, you got like the 30-second um, answer here. <laughs> yeah, funny you should say that because, God, I think three times in the last year, the airlines lost my luggage. I had no guitar and I had to do a show that night. <gasps> no um, guitar? number one is meditation. And there's a guy named Peter Russell that you can look up online and it has the best meditations I've ever heard. And they're specifically for beginners and to let you know how easy it is, because most people say, oh, I'm too busy to meditate, I can't sleep in 20 minutes. But these it's really, really high quality, beautiful voice, it really sends you into a, 
an altered space and can give you a reset in the middle of your day. And I found over time, over the last six months of doing this every day, that, yeah, they lost my guitar, but I can borrow a guitar. There is a solution. Instead of having the anxiety that I used to have and the panic and being so pissed off at the airline, (laughs) it doesn't do any good. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we are we are out of time, Jennifer. We are out of time, and I'm so sorry. I wish I had another hour with you because you you're just phenomenal. But I want to thank you so much for giving up you know some time with me today to do this. This show will be up on our host page in about an hour for those who want to listen to it again. Um, you can do that and. Um, I, again, just thank you so much. And for all those of us, those of you listening, if you want to learn more about Breast Friends, go to breastfriends.org and you can see what all those different things are that we offer. And we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.